Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 45 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author, media and PR coach, copywriter, editor and proofreader, and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content, events and training platform providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Nicole Sopko and Dan Stackman from Upton's Naturals, an independently owned natural foods company in Chicago that creates meat alternatives using simple, recognisable ingredients. Dan founded the company in 2005, pioneering flavoured wheat-based seitan. Nicole, his life partner, who also owns two yoga studios, came on board in 2010 and now serves as vice president. The business started off small, operating out of a shared kitchen, and has grown to the point where its products are sold in around 2,000 outlets across the U.S., Three years ago, it moved into a new building and opened Upton's Break Room, a cafe for staff and the public. In 2015, Upton's launched the first to market seasoned and ready-to-eat jackfruit in the US. Five years ago, the company took off the word vegetarian from its packaging, leaving vegan to do the job of explaining the product's animal-free status. As well as helping to run Upton's, along with her yoga studios, Nicole is a founding board member of the Plant-Based Foods Association, a newly established trade body representing plant-based alternatives in the marketplace, government and media. In this interview, Nicole and Dan talk about the challenges of starting a company with a business partner, the benefits of implementing a slow growth plan for your business, why Dan turns down offers of investment and chooses to remain the sole owner of the company, the hands-on strategy likely to get retailers and buyers to remember you, why you need to let go of being right when you're in business, and much more. Here's the interview with Nicole Sopko and Dan Stackman from Upton's Naturals. Hello, Nicole and Dan. It's lovely to have you on the show. Hello. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for having us. <laughs> so look the first question I ask everybody is I always like to know what's the why you know running a, a, a vegan run business a mission driven business uh, you know it's different to running just you know any old kind of business so tell us about the why behind Upton's well um, Dan and I have both been vegan for over 20 years and I think that you know that that interest in veganism and and furthering uh, furthering the cause of veganism is what caused Dan to start the business in the first place. Um, when we met, Dan had already started the company and had been uh, doing it for almost four years. And um, he opened my eyes to the fact that uh, you can do something that you love <laughs> for a living. I had no idea. <laughs> That's great. That's always a nice discovery, actually, isn't it? It, it really is. <laughs> Fantastic. So, Dan, how did you you get into it then? What made you decide to to start a vegan-run business? Because I, I love the fact that you're both activists and you've come at this from, you know, a way to change the world. Um, and obviously running a business in what is one way to do it. What, what drew you to, to starting the business? 
Sure. Um, I always had a love of seitan, um, and I wanted to do something with food. And at the time, um, there weren't, there wasn't anybody making it uh, commercially in Chicago, and I, I believe there was just one other national brand. So it seemed like, you know, something that if I could do well would be um, a good entry to the market. Sure. Fantastic. Great. So just talking about um, some of the challenges um, to begin with. So a lot of the time, and I, I ask this with a lot of, um, you know, people who make vegan products, particularly food products, a lot of the time, um, you know, where it's, it's ethical, it's environmentally friendly, it's vegan, um, often can, has to be more expensive because, you know, unlike an animal agriculture, it's not subsidized. So I'm curious, how do you deal with that challenge to stay competitive and attract customers to your products? Well, um, that's, I guess that's, that's tough because I don't really, I don't really think about comparing, um, the, uh, the meat products say to the, to the vegan products as much in terms of pricing. It, it just kind of is what it is. We know what our ingredients cost and what our labor costs and we just do the best we can to, um, fall in line with what else is going on in our specific category. Um, you know, we just, we try to keep everything as simple as possible, which I think helps. The, the structure of our company is pretty um, simple and straightforward. I mean, we don't have a lot of extra um, expenses. Um, we do a lot of work ourselves. And I think that that certainly helps um, the, the other thing about that is that, um, you know, this year we've, um, gotten involved with the PBFA here in the U S the plant-based food association. Um, and so, uh, I'm a founding board member of the PBFA and we're using, you know, our, our relationship, um, with the other companies in, in that entity to, um, try to level that playing field a little bit uh, for all oh, of that's us. Good. Yeah. Fantastic. That's good to hear. Yes, I, I've heard about the PBFA actually, and I've been meaning to probably reach out to, to get someone on from there to, to talk about it because it does sound like a, a really great way to to change things in that respect. So that's that's fantastic. So, yeah. so what were some of your key challenges when you were first starting up the business, Dan? What were some of your key challenges? Probably the most challenging thing was financing. Um, this was about 10 years ago, so there weren't quite as many people that were clamoring to, you know, uh, <laughs> invest in, in plant in, uh, quote unquote plant-based, uh, businesses. Which wasn't even a term 10 years ago. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't a thing. Um, so I, I had actually started the company, um, with, a home equity line of credit. Um, there was, uh, we were at an all time high of, of no document uh, lines of credit from banks. And at the time I was unemployed, but I, but I owned a home and, uh, you know, without any actual proof of employment or, or ability to repay the loan, 
Um, I was able to get a bank to uh, to give me enough money to to get our own space for production. I love that. And I, you know what? I just really want to acknowledge your honesty. I love that you've shared that. And I'm actually really glad to know that the GFC actually served some kind of good purpose. <laughs> that's probably not very politically correct to say that, but that's kind of what's going in my mind. <laughs> yeah, I may have been one of the few people that actually paid back the loans. Um, but it, it really worked out. So I was able to take that um, and just, you know, do everything uh, myself. At the time, I did have a partner, which uh, was another challenge. Um, you know, we, we got along very well and, um, you know, kind of lucked out in that regard. But after, I think it was about four years, you know, he had decided that it, the business wasn't really for him. So... I think the, the startup is fun and then the day-to-day is not as fun. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. A lot of people get excited about it because something's new and so everything's, you know, there's lots going on. And then, yeah, once you kind of get into that day-to-day, it can it can sort of start to get maybe a little bit uh, little bit monotonous. I, I, get, I know what you're saying. So what about as you've grown? Because you say you're 10 years in now. So how have the challenges grown as, or how have the challenges changed as you've grown as a business? Um, well, we get people offering us money all the time. Um, <laughs> oh, that's a pretty high quality problem. <laughs> <laughs> we don't necessarily want it. Um, we, you know, we haven't taken any outside money. Um, I, I think that we're one of the few companies in our category and even in the natural food space at all right now, um, you know, with a few exceptions um, that are still, we're still hundred percent owned by one person, Dan. And, um, so we're, we're, we are actually vegan owned. We have no investors, no outside money. We've done this all, um, you know, wow. from, from the ground up ourselves. And why did you decide to go that route? There weren't many options in the beginning. And then, um, you know, I had a pretty slow growth plan in place. Um, that allowed us to, you know, we started in a shared kitchen and then once the product was proven, uh, with, with some local restaurants, um, we got our own production facility saved up for some retail packaging, started in seven stores, then 20 stores, then, you know, one region, another region. Um, and it just became easy to, you know, to, to to grow slowly instead of taking somebody else's money. Um, especially, you know, once you build up that momentum, it's, uh, it's hard to want to give up even 10, 20, 30% of your business, um, to somebody that is only interested in making money. Yeah. Which is yeah. most of these guys, you know, they all, they're all like, Oh, you know, I want to give you however many million dollars. And, uh, you're going to need to sell the business in five years and uh, you're going to need to fire all these people and hire all these people. And we need to grow the company by a thousand percent in those five years. So get ready. 
<laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound very appealing when you put it like that. <laughs> I like that. I like that you've, you you said that about that that slow growth because I think that's actually quite inspiring, particularly for a lot of you know people starting out and running small businesses. Because you know sometimes like we've seen a lot of vegan businesses in the media and having that you know that investment, that fast growth, and going on Shark Tank and this kind of thing. And I, I like that this is another model that you you can grow. Um, you just don't need to do it you know quite so uh, fast and and have people. Um, coming in and I know one person I interviewed uh, Pana Barbunis who has a, a, a company called Pana Chocolate um, and he said he very again very deliberately didn't want investors at the beginning because he actually wanted the company to get successful um, so that it would then be valued higher so that if and when he then did decide to get an investor in the company would be you know worth more so I think there's a, a lot to be said for that 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 strategy so um, so that's great thanks Hugh. thank you for sharing that um, so you said Uptons are, are available in a number of retail outlets across the US. Um, how did you go about making all of that happen? Because I think that's an interesting one that people are always curious about, you know, particularly if they're starting out, like you said, in a shared kitchen. And then, you know, they really want to expand their products and, and get them into places where, where people can get them. So can you talk us through some of that process? Sure. Back to uh, back to slow growth. Um, <laughs> you know, once we had a proven product locally, you know, some people were familiar with the brand and had tried the product at restaurants, um, including some people that worked at Whole Foods. So, um, you know, we, we started with them really because we knew they had a good uh, local producers program. And we pretty much just walked into one of the stores. We knew that there was uh, a buyer there that was vegan and would definitely be open to at least, you know, the, the idea. And, uh, he was able to, to bring us into, um, that one store, which then quickly became, uh, the seven at the time locally. And we had self-distributed, you know, we were bringing coolers in, a, in the back of the car, delivering everything ourselves. Um, and then once the sales there got, uh, you know, we're sort of proven we we're able to find a distributor that could do some of the work for us. Now, it's important to keep in mind for those people that are maybe at, at that step right now to make sure that you budget for the distributor because obviously they're going to want to make some money as well. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we, we got a distributor and that got us into. Uh, the 20 stores locally, as well as a number of independents. And once those were doing really well, we were able to get into the 40 that were in the, the Midwest Whole Foods region. And then just kind of let each region prove itself. So, you know, there was somebody that moved from Whole Foods Midwest to the Southwest region. And, you know, that person was then interested in bringing us in to the Southwest region. Um, and that was it. For many years, we just kind of did one or two regions a year until uh, there were no regions left. Wow. And how many retail outlets are you in across the U.S. approximately? That's a great question. I think it's, I mean, it's got to be around 2,000 maybe. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. Wow. And, and um, the other thing about like that slow growth and um, 
is that it's work. I mean, when we, um, when I started with the company, um, we were still only available in the, in the Midwest here, which is where we live. And, um, and we had, and we got into the Southwest shortly after that. Dan and I, uh, this was my first business trip with the company. Dan and I got on a plane, went to Texas and drove around Texas for about a week visiting every Whole Foods store in the region, um, you know, to say hi, bring t-shirts, you know, introduce ourselves to the people working in the store um, with the hope that, you know, when somebody came in and was looking for a meatless um, product that maybe those people would remember us or, you know, would think to recommend the product. And we We've done that, um, you know, we did that for many years in most of the parts of the country, you know, as the products became available until we just couldn't anymore. But um, but that that kind of stuff, that FaceTime stuff is really important, I think. Wow, that's that's great. I love that you shared that. So very much a hands-on approach. And I imagine, yeah, going there with T-shirts, you would make you quite memorable. So that's a really smart strategy. And I like that you're, you're sharing this because it, it sort of shows people, because we want to inspire people, you know, to start and run vegan businesses, but also, you know, let them know what the realities of it are. So I think it's great that you're sharing that, that you as as owners, you know, as co-owners, were, you know, certainly in the beginning, um, you know, doing a lot of that FaceTime. So that's fantastic. So are you saying you're mainly in Whole Foods? Are you, are you in other retailers out as well as Whole Foods or mainly just Whole Foods? Uh, we're in most of the the natural channel here in the U.S. So Vitamin Cottage, um, Wegmans. Wegmans, who's sort of a conventional crossover account, but they've got a, a good natural selection. Um, most of the co-ops, there's a couple different co-op groups. There are a number of regional natural chains like uh, Mothers and Moms, uh, New Seasons. Great. And are you finding that they're more open nowadays to say like 10 years ago, like now they're hearing the word, you know, vegan products, that they're more open to say having meetings with you and, and stocking your brand? Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny because I think I was thinking it was probably about five years ago. Um, our products on the package used to say 100% vegan slash vegetarian. And about five years ago, we had a conversation where we decided that we could take the word vegetarian off the package. We had always had it in case people didn't know what vegan meant. Um, they were more likely to know what vegetarian meant. So uh, it was probably about five years ago that we took the word vegetarian off because we felt confident that most people would understand what 100% vegan means. So. Oh, that's good. That's progress. That's actually, that's progress for sure. Well, I may as well ask you that question now around, it's one again that I ask everybody about that use of the word vegan in your marketing materials, because you know, there's that two schools of thought. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who's recently gone vegan, but she's using the word plant-based because she just kind of, you know, and particularly when she's uh, teaching people, she's like a, a trainer and, and a coach. Um, and she said, oh, if I use the word vegan, it, it frightens people away a bit. So tell us a little bit about the fact that you're obviously quite bold in your use of the word vegan. So tell us a little bit about that and why you chose that and, uh, and, and the prominence of it. I think, um, you know, that we, um, we don't see veganism as being that extreme. I mean, we don't, you know, we don't see it as being 
abnormal. Um, we've both been, like I said, we've both been vegan for over two decades. Um, you know, our families have become, become comfortable with it. Most people who know us obviously know what we do for a living and know that, you know, that we're vegan and that our house is vegan and all of these things. And so I think for us, like veganism is very normal and talking about it is very normal. And I think that, you know, by not making it appear too weird or being too precious about the wording around it, you know, it just becomes, it, it just becomes very common, you know, it's, it, it becomes less intimidating for people. Um, and, and we've always been comfortable saying that we're vegan, we're vegan owned, we're a vegan company, we make vegan products. So Fantastic. And what, what approximately, um, what percentage of your customers are vegan and, and as opposed to not? We haven't done any formal uh, study or anything, but based on our interactions with people, I would say it's probably about half and half. Um, Great. Uh, oh, that's probably that's about 50% of the people that we interact with who come um, who who are um, buying the products or who are coming to our restaurant here in Chicago um, are are not vegan and maybe not even vegetarian, but just you know enjoy the products for for exactly what they are. Fantastic. Just going back to that distribution then in terms, because we were just talking about, um, you know, getting products into outlets. What advice would you give to other vegan brands, whether food or otherwise? Um, what advice would you give them um, if they want to get their products into retail outlets? Really just start small. Make sure that you prepare yourself for all of the different uh all of the different amounts of money that everyone along the way is going to want to get from you in terms of promotional support, advertising. Um, eventually, you may need to, to include a broker into that. Um, for the first nine years of business, we did all of the sales uh, and managed all of the accounts ourselves. Um, we've only ever had one additional salesperson on staff. The rest, um, rest of the sales were completely organic. Um, so, you know, about a year ago, we. When you say organic, you mean people just bought them from the store? Correct. Well, that and store and yeah, and the store would just bring it in. You know, they'd see maybe maybe an independent would see that Whole Foods had a product, or you know, we would go and do a. Uh, consumer event, a veg fest in a different city, and then the attendees would go to the store and say, hey, you know, I really like you to carry this, and they, they'd bring it in. Um, you know, we, got it. Yeah. Got it. So you didn't need a big sales team to kind of get it going. Correct. Okay. Yeah, which um, is difficult, too, um, because there aren't a lot of people that have experience in this in, in this kind of sales. So everybody that we have hired, we've had to train, you know, completely from nothing. Um, which which takes a lot of time. It's not like you're just selling widgets. It's you really need to understand how the industry works and um, that that just takes time. <laughs> 
We for sure. We yeah. were so we, you know, like Dan was saying, we we did everything ourselves for many years in terms of sales. Um, you know, we were always a little hesitant to work with brokers. Um, now I think you know that we've gotten into working with outside brokers. We have a good team and we feel comfortable, you know, about what they're out there doing. Um, but um, but I'll tell you a story. Uh, this past year at um, Natural Products Expo West in California, uh, we were there exhibiting, and a broker um, from another brokerage who we don't work with came over. And he was talking to me and he was saying, oh, I can't wait to sell this stuff. And I just thought he was, I didn't know what I thought. I, I, I thought he was confused or, um, you know, I thought he was trying to pitch me. Or, um, and, um, and I come to realize because Dan wrote me a note and slipped it to me that he, he <laughs> thought that we were another company that makes a similar product. And um, at that point, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to get I didn't know how to correct him because I'd been talking to him for like five minutes. Yeah, we were too far in. We were too, we were, we were way too deep. <laughs> so, so, you know, he, we took pictures together. He took sell sheets from us, all this stuff. The whole time thinking that we were the company he worked for. He didn't even know his own, his own catalog well enough to know that we weren't the company that he represented. So, um, uh. Oh. So that's amazing. So that, so that, but that stuff, that kind of stuff happens, and um, and you have to be really careful about the people who are representing your brand and your products that they that they know what they're talking about and that they're representing you well in the world. Absolutely, that's such good advice. Gosh, what a story! Goodness me. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, so you mentioned you touched on the restaurant. So I believe you opened the break room in 2013. I think I saw on your website, and as I understand it, it's like a cafe restaurant for both staff and the public. Um, tell us about that. Why did you go down that route? Why did you open it, and what benefits has it brought? I think um, so. So opening the restaurant was part of moving into this this building that that we currently occupy um, in Chicago's West Town neighborhood. Um, so so we um, we built this building um, from the ground up here um, because we couldn't find a building that that suited all of our our needs. Um, and so part of that process was that that um, instead of just putting this huge building in this in this you know existing neighborhood of Chicago um, that was closed off we wanted to put something in so that our neighbors um, could come in and meet us and see what we're doing and so that you know people who are fans of the product who you know buy it where, wherever they live um, when they're in Chicago they can come in and they can see us and they can you know kind of see what we're doing um, and you know the the break room also serves as as a sort of a test kitchen for us. We you know we try products out in there and see what people's responses are. Um, and and uh, we all have to eat. So um, you know prior prior to this, we were doing sort of like family meals for for the staff um, every day. And. Um, and, and having the restaurant, um, you know, means that everyone who works works here has a place to eat when they come to work. And, um, you know, that's why we call it the break room. So. Fantastic. That's, that's, that's great. So how many staff, you touched on staff, how many staff do you have? We're a little over 20 right now. Oh, fantastic. And how do you go about finding them and keeping them? 
Because, <laughs> like you said, you want to, especially if you're having to train them from scratch, like you want to hang on to them. You don't want to train them up and then they go off somewhere else. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it you... certainly can be difficult at times. Um, you know, we prefer that um, most of the employees are vegan and understand what we do. Um, so, right now, I think we're at probably somewhere around 90%. 90% vegan? 90% vegans. Um, <laughs> oh, nice. That's lovely. I like that. That's probably very, very different to your traditional workplace. So for once, the non-vegans are outnumbered. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and most of those people, are, you know, if they're not vegan, they're, they're open to the idea. You know, they, they're, not, uh, they're not trying to sneak in bologna sandwiches into the locker room or anything or, you know, ordering out pizza for lunch. And, uh, I mean, I guess... They'd probably get in trouble because we have uh, we have pretty strict rules about what you can, what you can bring into the building. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know, in addition to just offering people um, a job that is doing something that you know, hopefully they believe in, uh, we try to be as reasonable as we can with people. Um, we'd like to get ideas from the staff. Um, about what they, you know, how they want things to be, what conditions that, you know, um, they'd like to work under. And Even like our production hours are sort of set by the team, you know, like what time, you know, when we, when we first ever started and had the first, you know, Dan had the first employees, he just asked them, what time do you want to start in the morning? And that was the time we started. I mean, you know, it doesn't, as long as the work gets done, it, you know, we try to be reasonable with people about, about, um, about what we can be reasonable about. Well, that's fantastic. I love that, that flexibility. It's sounding like a very attractive place to work, actually. It's great. It's, it's not all just, it's not all just eating, eating sandwiches. We do, do. Although you, you do get a free sandwich every day. You do get a Free sandwich. Oh gosh, this is sounding great. No wonder you've got the vegans of Chicago queuing up to to work with you. It sounds great. (laughs) Now, what about any other type of expert help have you used to grow your business? I'm talking more about kind of, I don't know, things like business coaching, marketing, people, PR, that kind of thing. Have you used any of those services? And if so, what what were the outcomes? We've never used any kind of business coach. Um, I don't know that I would necessarily recommend that. Um, I guess guess it depends. Um, I guess it depends on what you're trying to do. Um, For us, um, you know, we would maybe just befriend some other companies that had been in our position and occasionally ask a few questions or just not be afraid to ask a retailer, you know, like, what is it going to take for me to get to this next level? Like, what what can I do to get into another region or what are you looking for? Um, I think it is not being afraid to not know. Like yeah. Asking. But, but um, to, to get back to the question, we, we do now work with a PR um, agency um, and that's been really interesting and, and, you know, and, and does help get, uh, get the products out there into channels where I think, Previously, maybe we, we wouldn't have thought to go. Um, and it, it also depends on the project and how much money you have. I mean, I say um, 
you know, in the beginning, we we tried. We didn't have any money to hire anyone, so that wasn't even an option. Um, you know, now we've got the PR company, we've got the um, we've got the team of brokers. Um, we we've hired one consultant on um, on, a on, a, on a special project that you know was above our technical ability. Um, from anyone in house. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, cool. I think, you know, the good thing about like the, the slow growth model of the company is that, and, and, and not having the budget to hire people until, you know, more recently, the past really two years is the only time that we've started working with people like that. Um, has been really good for both of us because you know we both learned the industry and we both had to learn how to do everything and it 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 makes a huge difference when it comes to managing those people when you when you do eventually hire people to do those jobs because you know a little bit about what it takes to do them um, and so uh, yeah that's a good point yeah it probably gives you an appreciation of of what's involved in there yeah and so you know you know if if um you know you have a better idea about if what someone's saying to you is true or not and also like um you have an, an understanding of what you know what they're what they're undertaking Brilliant. Oh, that's excellent advice. Excellent. So let's talk a bit about competition, because as you mentioned, like 10 years ago, you know, there wasn't that many, um, you know, kind of vegan meat type alternatives around. So now, of course, there are a lot more options available and, you know, seem to be more keep coming on the market. Um, how do you go about standing out both within and outside of the vegan business arena and to continue attracting customers? Um, I think the, the main Thing for us is just having really simple ingredients. Um, you know, a lot of the other products that you'll see out there are really high tech, um, and they've got a laundry list of ingredients and you know flavor, um, enhancers. flavor enhancers. And everything we do is really straightforward. Um, there's usually nothing on any label that that. Uh, most people wouldn't understand. So nice. That's a very nice USP and explained very simply, which is great. I think that's a really good example. You know, sometimes you ask business owners, we know what makes you stand out and they're kind of they're not quite sure. So they end up sort of rambling a bit. So I like that you've very clearly identified that. That's great. Um, now many marketing gurus say that nowadays, you know, we should just stop thinking about having competitors and instead embrace them as collaborators and potentially do joint ventures with them. What are your thoughts on that? I think um, you know, we have um, we don't see a lot of the, the, the companies in our space as competitors necessarily. I mean, I, I even, you know, like on the PBFA, I work with Jamie from Tofurky. And, um, and I think that both of us even have a hard time seeing each other as competitors because we're both doing something that is uniquely different, um, you know, in terms of our ingredients list or our processes. Um, so, you know, even though we're both making alternatives to meat, um, we're, we're doing something, we're filling a space, right, for, for someone. We're, we're each making a product that's appropriate for someone or that someone's going to seek out. And so I think that that's great. Um, that said, um, you know, we have had um, the instance of um, a product that we had in development um, 
that uh, was leaked and um, someone took our idea. Someone took our idea and luckily for us, we, we were the ones who brought it to market first. We, we still, um, you know, we, we still had that, that, that we were the first to market with it. But um, I think that that kind of stuff happens and, um, and it, it's unfortunate and it sort of like, you know, it, it hurts your feelings, but, um, but you have to, eventually you have to let it go. You know, you have to, um, just do what you're doing as well as you can. It doesn't matter what anyone else has to say about you or, um, you know, what they're doing. Um, I mean, we're a hundred percent committed to our products and to our mission. Um, and I think that ultimately like that is what makes the difference. Absolutely, yeah, for sure, for sure. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah, I know what you said about um, you mentioned Tofurky because when I interviewed Seth yeah. Tibbet um, from Tofurky, and he said, you know, he actually enjoys the fact that there's more and more people coming into that arena because I think he made the analogy: a rising tide lifts yeah. all boats. So it's actually better for the category um, to, to do that. So that that's great. You're working together with uh, with Jamie at the PVFA. That's fantastic. Um, now we touched on this a little bit earlier. Just some of your marketing strategies. Um, I know you mentioned you did Veg Fest. And uh, so what are your current marketing strategies and which do you find most effective? Pretty much um, it's still a lot of consumer events. Um, it, it's really great to be able to connect with people in, in different cities and get them to try the products. Um, we also do um, a number of in-store demos, which um, can be good or bad depending on uh, who's doing them for you um, but if you're if you're able to do them yourself certainly starting out um, on a local level it's uh, it's really an effective way because you, you know you're there in person you're sharing your excitement of the products people are getting to try them and then hopefully buying um, again and again yeah, I love that you've shared that because we hear so much about online, online and everything sort of social media. And it's really actually nice that there's still these offline methods of marketing that still can't quite be beaten. Like you said, that that connection with the customer where they're literally physically there in front of you and getting to, to try your product. Yeah. And then the other thing is uh, promotions in store, you know, like a like a like a discount when you see like sale two price. yeah like a sale price like a two for six or a, you know a buy one get one or something like that um, you know when when people are shopping sort of blindly they just they tend to gravitate to what's on sale so if they haven't tried you uh, if they see a sale sign maybe they're more inclined to pick it up for the first time. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. I do that at my local <laughs> store, just with like regular strawberries. I'm like, oh, three panets for five dollars. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll have the three. It's it's interesting the way that psychology works. So I'm glad it's working for the vegan cause. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so for people who aspire to owning a, a vegan-run business, what what in your opinion, what are the things they need to take into account before they make that jump from you know working in a day job, working as employed, salaried? to self-employed entrepreneur? Um, I guess it would be almost the same for any kind of business. Just know that you'll, um, you'll be fully responsible 
for everything, um, including all of your employees, and you might not make any money for a long time. So, um, you know, if you don't have a trust fund or a savings, you know, be prepared to have that second job or, um, you know, figure out some way to hustle up enough to pay your bills and enough energy to, you know, to work another 20, 40, 60 hours a week uh, building your dream. You should talk about what you did. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, tell us the, what you uh, did. The, yeah. the, the home equity <laughs> line of credit um, was definitely not enough to, uh, to, to continue to pay the mortgage or even really the rent of the facility um, that or we to had. Pay the home equity line of credit. Yeah, or to pay the home <laughs> equity line of credit. I mean, it was just like a nice, here's a bit of cash so you can buy the things that you need right now. And at that point, we had already had enough income to pay for some of the day-to-day -day expenses, um, not including labor. You know, it was myself and my partner at the time doing all of the work, not getting paid um, for at least a few years. Um, and eventually we, we got, uh, you know, we were paying ourselves like minimum wage as kind of a joke. And, uh, <laughs> you know, for me, I would, um, I bought and sold design, furniture, art for several years, um, mostly stuff that I would pick out of the garbage or find at estate sales or thrift stores. Um, and uh, at the at the time, you know, I, I was very lucky with that. So, uh, fantastic! That's very enterprising of you. I I, I like that because I was just thinking that you know when people say you know sometimes it can take you know like you say a good few years to you know for a business to turn around. I know with Seth uh, for, again from Tofurky, it took him years and years, you know, of running this um, Tempe business before you know Tofurky sort of hit the big time. But so I'm kind of curious then in, in in that case, like how does one know whether to stay with something like that or when to quit? Do you know what I mean? Because some people might argue, well, look, you know, you've been going for years and years and you still haven't made it. Do you still, how do you know whether to still keep going or to go, you know what, this really isn't working, it's time to that's, move on? I think that's up to the individual. I think that there are some signs probably. <laughs> there, like, there may be some signs, but. Are you making progress? Is the product becoming available in more places? You know, are you learning anything about, you know, things you can be you should be doing the same or different. Uh, I mean, you know, not every product is is gonna make it, I guess. But but I think that that you you know if if you can look around objectively um, and see, you know, is this going well? <laughs> Yeah, no, that's really good advice. That's really, uh, that makes sense that, yeah, looking at like, are things moving? Even if they're moving slowly, at least if they're moving, that's a, a good sign. And do you still like what you're doing? If you've been doing it for two, three, five years and you still really love it, uh, as long as maybe you're not losing money, maybe maybe there's a chance. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. I mean, that's I think that that's the, that's the other thing is that people think that, you know, when you're self-employed that you love your job. Um, I mean, ultimately, like, I think that we both love what we do, but there are parts of our jobs that we do not like. <laughs> I mean, that's, 
there, yes, there, yes. there's, there's <laughs> loving the overall, but, but the reality is that there are some individual aspects of your job that are unpleasant. So absolutely yes so I, I agree absolutely no, that's great advice so what were you what were the both of you doing before you you got into Uptons and what skills from those previous jobs or careers have been useful in running your current business um I did not have a background in either food or business really um I guess the the most experience I had was just simply as an only child. Um, so I always had to figure things out for myself. Um, and I think that helped a lot. Um, I also came from uh, the uh, punk rock community, I guess, um, which you know has a lot of uh, sort of do-it-yourself ethics involved. You know, you want to put on a show, you want to see your favorite band, you know, you're not, well, at least 20 years ago, you wouldn't, uh, you know, you don't just go to the arena. You, <laughs> you've got to, no yeah. there's no internet. You've got to, you've got to find a place to have the show. You, you know, if you're in a band, you want to go on tour, you got to get a, a beat up van and, you know, make a bunch of phone calls and send letters and you just need to figure it out. Um, so, Cool. Yeah, I mean, I, cool. What about you? Yeah, that's okay. I was going to say, what about Nicole? Well, so, you know, I got involved with this company when I was laid off of my um, my last job. Um, you know, Dan and I had started dating, and I, I worked in publishing. Um, I did um, print production for magazines, um, and I did that for many years um, on the East Coast and here in Chicago. Um, so, you know, the... The and, and and I guess I should say that neither Dan or I graduated from college. We both went to college and then left college. <laughs> um, so neither of us have a degree in anything relevant to what we're doing. Um, but you know, we've learned we've learned by doing. Um, Fantastic! Yeah. I love that. That's really inspiring. It's 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 really good. I think for people to to hear that, you know, to say, you know, you don't necessarily have to have an MBA. And I'm not saying you know no one should go out and get it and they're worthless, but it's just good to know that you know that you don't have to have these things in place. You know, you can have those those enterprising skills um, that you you learn as you go. So um, that's excellent. So we're on to the the final stretch now. So last kind of couple of questions are um, uh, around uh, mindset. So around uh, you know running the business. Um, obviously, as you say, you know, especially if you know, not necessarily, you've got that slow growth, so it can be a bit, you know, stressful. Um, and running any kind of business can can be quite stressful. So it can also be, you know, one of the most effective forms of personal development because, as you've touched on, you know, it forces you to learn new things, get out of your comfort zone. Um, but what personal qualities do you believe are essential to staying the course and running a successful business? Uh, I guess. Determination. You just gotta. You've gotta. You've gotta be a bad quitter. Uh, you've gotta be accepting of other people's opinions and and try to be um, open with uh, with your employees and even just outsiders' opinions. Um, you know, you can't get upset when somebody says that they hated your product or this was terrible because everybody's got a different opinion. Uh, you'll hopefully get some people that say they love your product. It's the best thing ever. I think 
definitely had to develop a thicker skin because especially, you know, with the internet and everything, people are unafraid to say, you know, I hate this and, you know, you shouldn't have done it this way or, I mean, we, you know, we get, we do get some crazy mail sometimes <laughs> from people who are upset for whatever reason. Um, and so certainly, you know, some the nice, the nice comments help to offset that. Um, and I think you, you know, the other thing that I've learned is that you can't, you can't be um, afraid to be wrong. You have to, you have to be able to admit it when you're not right and be able to change course because if you're, um, if you're stuck on your, on your opinion or you're stuck on this is the way that we're going to do it um, and it's not working, you're just going to drive yourself into the ground. You have to try to, try to, um, you know, be accepting of the fact that you might not be right or that you might not know. Excellent. Now, that's very good advice. Very good advice. Sometimes you're right, we can sort of latch on and it's kind of my way or the highway. And I think being in business has to, you have to have a certain amount of flexibility. So I'm glad you touched on that. Now, obviously, we've got to have a sort of a strong emotional um, well-being in order to be uh, a vegan, uh, to be a business owner. So what are some of the, the things that you do to maintain um, a strong emotional health and well-being? Hmm. Well, I don't know. So, so we do um, both practice yoga. Um, I I actually teach yoga, and I don't know if this contributes to our emotional well-being. But we also own two yoga centers. So. Oh, do you? I didn't know that. Oh my gosh! So, in addition to running Uptons, you own a couple of. Oh yeah. my gosh! I'm very yeah. Impressed. So those are those are my you know my businesses. Um, I, I run two yoga centers. Um, so that so that certainly keeps us busier. I don't know if that helps, but but um, you know having having that the access to that and um, Dan comes to my classes usually once a week. So um, so we have that, and I think um, you know for for us um, you know, for for some couples, I think it wouldn't work out, but but for us working together, I think does make it easier because I can. You know, it's difficult to say to your boss, like, I'm just not feeling this today or, you you know, like something happened at home or whatever. But but Dan knows, you know, and so I think having um, complementing personalities where like the things that stress me out don't stress him out and the things that drive him crazy don't drive me as crazy. And so we're, we're able to work together in that way. And that really makes a huge difference. Um, and, and also when we moved into this building, we put our house on the third floor, which some people would find really stressful. But for me, it makes it much easier because, you know, if I need a break, I can literally go home for, oh, <laughs> nice. go home for 15 minutes, <laughs> you know, take a break, get something out of my own refrigerator, you know, like whatever it is. And then I can go back to work. And, and that makes that makes a huge difference if there's an emergency at work. All we have to do is walk downstairs. We don't, you know, it's not a, it's not a rushing over there thing. So oh, that's and that does really help for us. 
For sure, I can imagine. And especially, as you say, you've got the other businesses as well. That's uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> I love yoga, actually. I always find I feel a lot better when I'm doing my yoga poses. It just kind of takes you out of that situation, you know, where you can be so in the moment where everything's kind of like, <gasps> and it, it's great to be able to, to do those things and very important as well. So, um, so final question then, what's your long-term vision? You've been in business for about 10 years now. And as you say, you've had the slow growth, but, you know, you're doing, doing very well and, you know, in 2,000 outlets, that's amazing. And you've got some fantastic new products come out. I think one with the jackfruit, which looks delicious. Um, what's your long-term uh, vision for Uptons and for yourself? Australia. Australia. <laughs> well, that's good to hear because I'm based in Sydney and I'm looking there going, oh, that looks really nice. I haven't seen them over here yet. So that's good. I'm glad to hear that. Tick. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's something that we're working on kind of over the next year and that we've been working on is um, some more international distribution. So that's that's in the works for us. Um, new products and I don't know, I'm just sticking with it, I guess. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, I'm very pleased to hear that. Well, I shall certainly advocate for your products when you do bring them over here. I shall check them out for sure. That looks wonderful. Um, look, thank you so much, um, both of you, Nicole and Dan. It's been wonderful chatting with you. you shared some uh, some great insights and, and experiences, and I think uh, a lot of people will get some great tips um, and advice from that. So thank you both again very much for joining yeah, me. Thank you sure. so Thanks much for having, for having us. us. So that was Nicole Sopko and Dan Stackman from Upton's Naturals. You can find out more at uptonsnaturals.com. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 45. Now for our vegan business news roundup. American vegan fast food chain Veggie Grill is going gangbusters with the recent announcement of another $22 million investment to enable it to expand outside the west coast of California, where the majority of its current 28 outlets are based, reports Grub Street. CEO Steve Healy told Nations Restaurant News that the company is still evaluating markets but is looking at urban areas in the Midwest and the East Coast as well as airports and university food courts. Veggie Grill is also about to become the first chain to offer the Beyond Burger from Beyond Meat on its menu. This is such good news. I love Veggie Grill. They have a fantastic range of delicious vegan food. It took me ages to decide on what to get on my first visit because the choice is so diverse. Co-founder TK Pilan is one of the entrepreneurs whose insights are featured in my book Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. And he said that from the start, the Veggie Grill team always wanted to be a national chain. So I'm thrilled that the time's right for them to expand across the US. And you can check out my interview with TK in episode two of Vegan Business Talk. Meal kit delivery service Purple Carrot is now available at Whole Foods Market, reports Digital Trends. The rollout has started at the Whole Foods Market flagship store in Dedham, Massachusetts, and will roll out to other stores in the company's North Atlantic region. Purple Carrot founder and CEO Andy Levitt said, We created a delivery service that provides all of the raw, pre-measured ingredients people need to cook delicious and healthy plant-based meals across the country. 
Over the last year, we've listened to the feedback of our busy consumers who also wanted to find our products on grocery shelves. So this is a good example of a vegan business listening to their customers and being flexible with delivery of its products. It's important not just to rest on your laurels, but to make sure you're taking care of your customers and giving them what they want. And of course, being on the shelves at Whole Foods Market gives Purple Carrot the chance to get their products in front of new customers. So it's very much a win-win. The UK's first vegan cafe with its own on-site soya dairy facility has opened in Norwich, reports Eastern Daily Press. Tofurai will offer a range of vegan produce, all made in-house. Owners Steve Lepper and Jenny McCann were inspired to open the shop after experimenting at home with making their own soya-based products. Lepper, who has a background in education and as an analyst in the private sector, said the idea had come from microbreweries and roasters. People were doing craft tofu and milks, but not as a micro-dairy, he said. The couple will make their own soya milk on site, which will be available in 500ml or 1 litre bottles. And they're doing their bit for the planet by offering customers the ability to be able to pay a deposit for a reusable bottle that they can then bring back and swap for a freshly sealed one when they next buy the milk. What a great venture and yet another first in the vegan market. I'm so loving these creative and innovative businesses. Fantastic. Pubs in the UK are missing out on a potential £5,000 in profit by not serving vegan food, according to Barry Honeycomb, founder of meat alternative company More Than Meat. Honeycomb made the claims to the Morning Advertiser as part of the business's launch of its new vegan joint of lamb and chorizo sausages, specifically to eateries. Honeycomb says the aim of the new products is to empower chefs to create their own unique vegan food offerings. So, for example, the sausages can be used cold in sandwiches or they can be used in hot dishes. And the lamb, and I must admit it feels weird (laughs) using animal names for vegan products, can be used to create shepherd's pie, moussaka or even a traditional roast lamb and gravy alternative. Now, what's clever about this story is the extra angle about pubs missing out on money-making opportunities. So it's not just, oh, here's another launch of some new products. Honeycomb's given the media a nice juicy hook for the story by making this claim, and the new products are included in the article, giving the company a good bit of publicity. So remember when you're pitching the media, always look for strong and interesting angles, not just the obvious. Finally, this next story is another example of how making a bold claim can get you media coverage. UK chef, it's all happening in the UK this week on the vegan business news front. UK chef Matthew Nutter says he can make cauliflower taste better than Christmas turkey. And this is the headline the Manchester Evening News has gone with. I can make cauliflower taste better than Christmas turkey is a great headline because it piques the curiosity of both non-vegans and vegans alike, making them more likely to click through to read the story online. And of course, media outlets want traffic and hits so that they can convince advertisers to spend money with them. Now, you might remember, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, that Nutter made similar bold claims recently when he opened Stockport's first vegan fine dining restaurant, The Allotment. 
He said at the time, I can make aubergine taste better than steak and cauliflower taste better than chicken. Now he's been smart and capitalised on the fact that Christmas is coming to make another proclamation, telling people to forget nut roast, that's another great soundbite, and claiming that his southern fried cauliflower is the best choice for Christmas dinner. So this is a great example of coming up with a relevant, timely angle and claim to get free publicity for your vegan business. Well played, Matthew Nutter. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more resources, including details of my media and PR consultations, copywriting, editing and proofreading services to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business, and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now. 